Welcome, welcome everybody to TLC. Glad to have you guys. Welcome to a beautiful Sunday. I think it's going to rain. I hope not, but it looks like it's about to, it looks like it's just holding back tears right now. So uh, we have our sports day, so let's pray that it doesn't do that. If not, um, I think they have a uh, plan B. I think they're going to do esports in the fellowship hall or something. So uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to be here, guys. We have a good word for you. I have a good word for you today. Um, God's word. It's always good, but I pray that I will be able to deliver it faithfully. Okay. We are in a series called Pour Out Your Life. Pour Out Your Life. This is a series that was developed uh, based on the theme for 2020. The theme for TLC for 2020 is Beyond Us, a year where we live for others. A year where you're not trying to focus on yourself, where you're not trying to make yourself better, where you're not trying to create the better version of who you are, but a year when you just give it a shot and you try to focus on somebody else. When you do what you do so that the person next to you can be who they were always meant to be. A year where you pour out your life as a father to your children, to your wife. You pour out your life as a wife to your husband, to your family. You pour out your life to your salt group members, to pour out your life to your small group members, to pour out your life to your ministry. A year where we live for the sake of others. That is the dream and that is the hope of this um, series. And if you journey with us through this series, I can almost guarantee you, if you journey with us through this series and you've been with us this whole time, okay, you're going to learn and you're going to find a treasure in the wisdom of this letter that Paul writes to Timothy. It's, it's, it's this letter where Paul pours out his heart to Timothy to teach Timothy what it will look like to be a better father, a better leader, a better teacher, a better uh, wife, a better husband, small group leader, ministry leader, a better CEO, a better boss, what it will look like to go out there and lead people, right? And if you stick with it, I pray that God will give you insight and wisdom and how to do such things as you pour out your life towards somebody else. You guys follow me? Okay. So uh, last week we talked about a very crazy issue about knowing your authority and knowing submission. Knowing authority and submission. And it really kind of painted this picture of manhood, womanhood, how both are made in the image of God, both are equal before the eyes of God, but both have different roles that they need to play in order to create harmony in order to create flourishing wherever they go. And one of the, the, the views in which Paul is talking about is that in the home, as it is in the church, the goal of spiritual leadership is fitted and given to the husband, to the spiritual leader of the, uh, of the church. It is the, 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 the job of the men of our community to take the lead in guiding and walking our church and our families. And in the same way, our sisters and our church and our, and our families and our wives, they're to come alongside and uh, play the supporting role, do the supporting role. And then together, when these two roles are working in harmony, we see flourishing coming out of our families. We see flourishing coming out of our churches, right? And Paul is very clear. And he was speaking to a situation that was going on in the church at that time. The situation was there was... 
churches were meeting up in these rich women's houses, and these false teachers who wanted to hold on to their power were trying to tell these ladies, hey, break the order, break the, uh, break the, the created version of which God made, the institution which God made, destroy that so that you can stay in power. You have a say. Speak up. Be an elder. Be someone who, who, who's teaching. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I need you to go back to the church and restore the order. Restore the created order which God has made for the flourishing of the church and the family. The order when the man leads, loves, and cares. The order where in the church we have the elder, the teaching elder, the overseer, the pastor, leading and teaching And we have the church as a whole, men and women, living under submission to the authority of God's word through the the teacher, right? And so Paul said, that's the order. And again, I I, I tell you guys, I want to make sure I give you guys the the full range of it. Look, if if God is not real, then we can just kind of bypass this kind of information, right? But if God is who he says he is, then he is the one who knows what makes the institution of marriage flourish, if he is who he says he is, do you know what God's desire is, guys? His heart? His heart is to have a people for himself. When he created all of the world and all the things that we know in existence, his main goal was to have a people for himself. If you go to the book of Revelation, what you will see in the end of it was God restoring his kingdom and his people for himself. And so God understands what makes the community, what makes the church, what makes people flourish. And if we, if we believe he is who he says he is, if we hold on to that, then we trust that he understands what makes an institution of marriage work and what makes an institution of this church community work. Right? When we play our roles, when we exercise our role faithfully, we see harmony and flourishing. And so today, I want to talk to you guys about Leadership, leadership, it's pretty much about me, right, which is kind of awkward, right? Um, it's, it's in case ever I die or I get fired, right, and some of you guys get uh, hired on to be uh, the, the, co- the committee that's going to hire the new pastor, hopefully, right, you will know the qualities you should have for your pastor, right? Hopefully I die, I don't get fired, okay? Hopefully I die, I pass away, and then you guys have to find a new pastor, and then when you guys do that... You will have the qualities and understand the qualities of what it takes to hire a new pastor and a new leader. But at the same time, I want to I take these, these principles of leadership and kind of apply them across the board in our homes, in our ministries, in our small groups. These are the type of quality that a leader ought to have in his or her life, Okay. So the majority of what Paul is saying here is specifically for the office of pastor, overseer, elder, my position, right? As we speak through this, I'm going to share with you guys in, in, in application of leadership as a person, as a man, as a woman, as a salt leader, as a ministry leader, as a small group leader, as a business worker, as a manager, as a boss, wherever you put, find yourself, if you are in some sort of area of leadership on a sports team or whatnot, these are the type of qualities that a leader has to flourish they're people. You guys get me? All right. Cool. Let's talk about me. First Timothy chapter 3. Right? First Timothy, I'm just kidding. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 
I'm going to read this together. I'm going to pray. And then uh, we're going to lay, they're going to lay out very specific things. I'm going to kind of sum them up into certain principles for you guys. And again, know these well, just in case anything ever happens to me, you will find the right pastor to take over, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, same word for, uh, same, uh, same meaning for pastor and uh, an elder, okay? He deserves a noble, ta- he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband about one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that the, so he will not fall into disgrace into the devil's trap. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and I pray, oh God, that you would give us wisdom and insight into the words and the qualities of a leader. I pray, oh God, that you would equip our church our members, our people, to be sons and daughters who will take the role of leadership well, who will take, Father God, the office of leadership well. And God, that they will desire such a noble task, that through leaders, oh Lord, that's how you use, what you use to change the world. And so, God, I pray over this group. Use us faithfully for your kingdom cause. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine a world when we have leaders going out there and exemplifying these qualities. Imagine the type of politicians you would have if you have leaders exemplifying these qualities. Imagine the type of teachers you will have if you have teachers exemplifying these qualities. You're going to create a beautiful world. The world in which God wants To be restored is Eden. And God has given every generation a job to restore that. He's given every generation the job to bring forth God's kingdom. And this generation's job is to recreate the beauty that's coming. Imagine how beautiful it will be that if you yourself live out these qualities of leadership in your homes... The flourishing of your family, the flourishing of your children, your husband, your wives. Imagine how beautiful it will be if we see these qualities exercised on campuses and in our jobs. The qualities of leaders that's going to flourish those communities, that's going to bring a touch and a taste of heaven to those places to bring the institution of God's grace and God's beauty and God's power into that place. God has given you, all of us, the church, this body, the duty to exercise this role out. And I pray that as we go through these principles, church, that you don't just wave them off as steps, but that you embrace them and realize what a beautiful world we can create if we actually led like this. What beautiful families we can create if we led like this. Think of the jobs and the people that we could impact if we led 
like this. All right? So first of all things, we see Paul talking to Timothy, Paul telling Timothy, look, if people want to be an elder, if they want to be the pastor, if they want to be the teacher, if they want to step into leadership, you got to make sure that these quality is there for them. And what is the first quality, principal quality that, that we draw from this? It's the quality of teaching the whole counsel of God's word, right? The quality of a leader is one whose life embodies God's word. One whose life understands this word and is able to teach this word. One whose life is able to explain this word. You know what's the saddest thing I've, I've, I've encountered in our church? Been here for seven years, eight years. The saddest thing I've encountered in our church is whenever I talk to the youth group kids and I ask them, who teaches you the Bible at home? And the majority of the time, it's either mom or nobody. And I said, where's dad? And the saddest response is, dad, this, he, doesn't, he thinks that this stuff is for the mom. Mom's job is to teach me the word and to be the spiritual leader and the spiritual person in the home. Dad's job is just to bring home money and to take care of our family. It is the saddest picture. And then we buy into that and we think that let's make more programs for kids and for women so that they can be better believers. If we would invest more in developing leaders who would say, as men, would say, I'm going to take this word and I'm not going to relent until I am able to know it and pass it on to whomever God has called me to pass it on. Let it be never said that here at TLC, our church, that when your generation gets married and have babies and I raise your kids and they're coming up and they're calling me Grandpa Tony this time, right? And they're saying, and I ask them, who is leading your home? Let it never be said that the men in this church neglected their duty to teach God's word. One of the qualities of a good leader, one of the qualities of a good pastor is that they are giving you the counsel of God's word. You know what the counsel of God's word is? Do you know whether you know the counsel of God's word? It's a very simple task. I ask you a question. Do you, can you paint a picture of God's story from Genesis to Revelation? Do you see his movement of his hand throughout the history, throughout these pages? Do you see your, you being able to paint your story into God's story? From the beginning of God's creation to the moment of God's redemption. Can you paint that picture? But even more than that, are you able to paint it in such a way where the core essential character of that story is Jesus Christ? Are you able to point out in the passages how this leads and points to our Savior? How we, how we were able to look into this word and say, you know what? This tells us that we cannot do it on our own. We need somebody else. It's a foreshadowing. Can you pull that from the scripture? Because when you can, you are in the steps of teaching the counsel of God's word. You are in the steps of engaging the counsel of God's word. And I tell you the truth, man. We live in a generation that that does not honor and respect this word as much, right? I mean, I thank you guys for those of you guys who brought a Bible to church. I mean, we have a Bible in front of your pews, right? I know that it's very hard for you guys to reach the little two inches in front of you to take it out and open it. I know it's hard. I know it's hard, right? 
Let me, tell, let me tell you, I think I told this story before. Let me tell you this story, right? I remember when I was in seminary, and I was, I was flipping through the channels. I was doing a project, and I got bored, and I stopped, and I flipped through a channel. I think it was, was TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network. Don't watch it, okay? It's trash. But anyways, I got there, right? Um, and when I when we got there, I saw this, this good-looking pastor, man. He was, his suit is way better than my suit, 100 times, right? Like, it's Armani suit. He has a smile that's super bright. I mean, I... Like, it just, it just focus your eyes onto his teeth, like, super clean, right? He's, like, bleach among bleach. It's like, he, he, he's, like, the silver fox type of dude that when you look at him, you're like, man, that guy is good looking. Like, he's, he, he aged well, you know, like, like, God has done great things to his chiseled fo- uh, fa- facial features. You know, and you look at him, and you just, like, talk to me, man. I want to hear what you have to say. And I remember, I remember him speaking, and it, this was a very lively church. It was a very lively crowd, and the, the cameras were zooming back and forth. And he's just preaching. He's going off, and he's talking about giving. He's talking about generosity. He's talking about trusting God with your finances. And he's quoting, he's quoting. And he begins to quote a book from Malachi. And he says, in Malachi chapter 7, this is the Lord. And he, and he quotes this whole entire thing. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, wait, hold up. I was like, oh, maybe he made a mistake. Because lo and behold, at that very moment when I was taking a study break, I was writing a paper on the book of Malachi. I don't know, maybe God was trying to teach me something. But in that very moment, I was writing a paper on Malachi. And so I thought maybe, maybe homie made a mistake. Maybe he just kind of, you know, pastors do that sometimes. They get, they get hyped up and they start throwing numbers out and they start throwing words out. They don't really think about it. I said, like, maybe, he's, maybe he's not thinking straight. So I was just like, let, let him keep talking. And as he keeps talking, he keeps quoting the exact same chapter. And I'm like, huh, I wonder, I, maybe, I'm like, I'm trying to give the guy benefit of the doubt. I feel the pastor issues. So I was like, maybe he's doing it. And I'm just saying, no, he probably knows he's doing it wrong. And he does it over and over and over. And I'm like, something's wrong with this homie, right? And then... And what the saddest part, the saddest part was when the camera zoomed into those people. We got the crowd getting crazy. We got, we got young ladies standing up, holding their Bibles. Oh, yes, yes, preacher, preacher. And they're holding it. I'm like, just open it. Just open it, and you will see that there is not seven chapters in the book of Malachi, right? There is not seven chapters in it. It's like, just open. And we got, we got, we got the men standing up, and they're doing like the, the little jig, like, yeah. Tell me more, right? Generosity. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Is this going? But they were excited. He was preaching, and he was giving them this counsel. I'm not sure if it's God's word. I'm not sure where he was preaching from, but they were just eating it up. And I'm like, Lord, I pray that I will never quote First Malachi chapter 7 to our church, right? <laughs> Give me the wisdom to never do that. But, you know, it's... We laugh at that. But you know what's funny? You guys do the exact same thing. You know that? Right? I mean, I know that you trust me. Please do trust me, right? I, I, I take my office very seriously. When I give you the word of God, I make sure that I, I, I've, I've learned it, I've studied it, I walk through it uh, as best as I can to give you as faithful um, a word as I could, right? I know because it when, I know because there will be a day where I will stand before God. And I'll have to give account for my teaching. And he's my, I, I never want him to ask me, why? Why did you teach not my counsel, but your counsel? Why did you teach not my word, but your word? Right? I pray for that. But at the same time, I want, I want you guys to think about this for yourself. Right? We live in such a YouTube generation. 
that all you need, honestly, sometimes, is that you watch someone that you think has some sort of special influence and authority. And if they tell you this is what they think, you don't really even check up on it. You don't even really kind of like go back and look if it's actually true because of who they are in an age of influencers, in an age of, of celebrities, in an age of power and, 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 and um, uh, stardom. We just kind of give our full trust and hope to these gentlemen, these people, thinking that maybe they're teaching me the real counsel. Never once even taking for a moment to see if this is what they're saying is true. Right? Never once, maybe as I preach, that you would open your Bible and say, is he even in the right chapter, right? The quality of a leader, the quality of a leader, let it never be said that the men here at TLC, when you have husbands, when, when you have husbands, when you have, when you have wives, oh Lord, that's a whole different story, right? when you have wives, when you have children, let it never be said that our men never taught the counsel of God's word, that we never protected it with all of our hearts. Do you, know, you guys realize that? That it's, it was the first job God gave to Adam. It was the first command he gave to Adam. He said, look at this place. It's all yours. Eden is yours. Look how beautiful this place is. All you have to do is not eat that tree. That's all you got to do, right? All you got to do is just tell Eve, don't eat from the tree. Make her believe it. Convince her. Persuade her. Talk to her. Show her. Give her my counsel. And the story goes, man, the story goes like this. Eve took the fruit, she ate it, and she gave it to Adam, who was where? Homie was right next to her. You know what he, do you know what he could have done? Oh my, this is, I, I think about it all the time, I get so mad. Like it's, it's just worthless thinking about it. I think about it all the time. I'm like, all he could have, all he needed to do was simply, Eve, stop. That's it. And just walk away. And we're done. We'll be, all be naked. We're in the Garden of Eden. We're enjoying God's glory forever. It, that would have been it. All he had to do was, Eve, stop. That's it. Right? Even if she took a bite, all he had to do was stop, stop, right? We're done. That was it. But you know what happened? One man's failure. One man's failure to uphold God's word, to pass it on faithfully, was a destruction, right, of the world itself. But the beauty here is this. One generation's willingness to teach the counsel of God to take this seriously has the power and the ability to restore Eden. Imagine, Im- imagine, imagine you, imagine politicians living their lives and they, they live it according to the counsel of God's word. They don't have to like preach from the word, but that they live it according to the counsel. Imagine a world like that. A world where we can actually bring peace, bring hope. A world where we can actually create hope and peace. Imagine fathers, husbands, imagine leaders, small group leaders, soul leaders. Imagine you're teaching your people, not just how are you doing, let's talk, let's, you know, get our feelings out. But you're actually teaching them God's word. Imagine the transformation that you would bring unto their life when you give them this word. All right. So the first quality of a leader 
If you seek to be a husband, if you seek to be a father, if you seek to be a leader in a church, a small group leader, a salt leader, ministry leader, if you seek to become leaders out in the world, in the private sectors, right, the quality of a leader is that you are someone who embodies and lives out and even teaches the whole counsel of God's word. Right? Second quality, second quality of a leader is the ability to wield authority as a servant. You wield authority as a servant. You're a servant leader here. <coughs> the authority that we see in power that we have, most of the time people want authority because it gives them a sense of, again, power. And they feed off of power because the more power you get, the more power you want. The world around itself, as, as Timothy, as, as Paul is talking to Timothy, he's, he's, he's giving these qualities of a man to Timothy. Hey, look, let him be disciplined. Let this overseer practice temperament, temperate, right? Let this overseer be able to care and love his family and manage his family well. That he would be a servant leader as Christ was the leader of the church. Right? Jesus, the Bible, the Bible says Jesus, who being in very essence God, did not take equality or authority with God, something to be grasped. He humbled himself, became obedient to death and death on the cross. Right? Jesus gave up his authority. What does it mean to be a servant leader? What does it mean to live life as a servant leader? It means this. You, you willed your authority by self-sacrifice. A, tr a true leader that's going to move and transform and challenge people is a leader who's willing to give themselves away. A leader who's willing to walk the talk. A, a leader who will not command people to do things simply because they have the power to do it. But they do it by service. They do it by giving up their rights. They do it for the good of others. And when you do that, what do we see? You may think, I know a lot of us, we don't like do, uh, practicing leadership that way simply because we're thinking we're being taken advantage of, right? I'm just pouring out my life towards these people. I'm just laying down my rights. I'm doing good for them. I'm, I'm practicing self-sacrifice. It feels like they're taking advantage of what I'm doing here. But the reality is the same way. Jesus Christ, he poured out his actual life. To a world who did not even desire him, and yet in his servant leadership, what did he do? He transformed the very face of history. Servant leadership works. Servant leadership is what we're called to be. You know, I, I, um, I, I love Arizona Mission for a lot of reasons, but one specific reason I love Arizona Mission, because there's one principle that they teach you in Arizona Mission. Right? The principle is very simple. Leaders eat last. That's it. Leaders eat last. And I always like thought to myself, like, but we work the hardest, right? Like, we're so hungry. The, the end of the day, we're tired. Like, I was like, Pastor Mick, like, why do leaders eat last? It's funny too, in the Marines, officers eat last. Officers don't eat before the, the soldiers. Soldiers eat first, then officers get their food. Right? What we learn from leaders eating last, this is what he said. I remember when I asked him this question, why do, you eat, why do we let leaders eat last? He said, because when the food is out, it is the leader's job to give it up. 
We don't force our people to go hungry when we ourselves can do it. We lead by example. Them first, then us. Servant leadership, all right? It's the exercising of self-giving for the sake of others. How do I practice servant leadership? How do you find a person practicing servant leadership? All right? It's that you stop creating these loopholes, these, these, um, these trade-offs, these deals, these negotiations. Where you're, when you're dealing with people, you're not thinking of, of, I give you this, you give me that. Your mentality, your heart is, what can I do to help flourish you? What can I do to help flourish you? And I say this so many times, if you are a father in the home, and you worked 8 to 5, or maybe 8 to 8, you had a long 12-hour day. Your day is not over when you get home. When you step into your home, you ask your wife, what is it left that I can do for you? You put your kids to sleep. You pray for them. And then, if there's still time, and you're not knocked out yet, you can open a beer and enjoy it and relax. Servant leadership is always asking the question, what can I do to help you flourish? What can I do to bring you to where you need to be? What can I offer? What can I lay down? What can I give unto you that will get you to move forward? That's a servant leader. Can you imagine a boss that does that for you? How beautiful would that be if your boss came around and he said, I love what you do. I want to get you further. What can I do for you? And you're like, what can I do for you? Like, you're the boss, man. Like, no, what can I do for you to get you forward? How can I help you? How can I stir you? What can I do for you? That's a servant leader. That's the quality of a leader. You want to be a small group leader, salt leader, ministry leader, pastor, elder, deacon, leaders, like, whatever, right? The thing you always got to think about is this. My position means absolutely nothing. I've been given this position with one goal in mind. How can I serve you? How can I give unto you? And the moment you feel that you're being taken advantage of, right, the moment you feel like everyone around you is just using you, taking you up, I want you to think for a second. What Christ thought on the cross as everyone screamed, crucified him. He didn't think they're taking advantage of me. You know what he thought? He thought, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He did it for them because he knew if I do this, they will flourish. Can you imagine fathers doing that? Can you imagine husbands doing that? Can you imagine you as a boss, manager, leader doing that? Can you imagine you moving into position of power and leadership, doing that, wielding that leadership as a mayor, as a governor, as a rep, as a senator, right? I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I really think we need godly politicians, okay? <laughs> I watch the news. It, it depresses me all the time. We, we need people who are servant leaders out there. 
What are, the, what are the qualities that Paul is saying in these leadership, these principles? He's drawing from all of these specific words that he's using. Teaching the whole counsel of God, willing authority, a self-sacrifice, right? Thirdly, exercising compassionate love. Exercising compassionate love. What does that mean? This is the type of love that says, for, it, says it, it says, Lord, for their sake, take me. This is the type of love that's willing to lay down everything you have for them. The love that says, God, if you would not save them, if you would not change them, then take me with them. God, if you would not free them, then take me too. If you would not save them, then, Lord, I want to give up my salvation if I could in order to give it to them. And you're thinking, who, who prays like that? Who talks like that? Man, you have definitely not listened to the counsel of God. Because if you did, you would hear Moses crying up in the mountains as the people sacrificed that, that golden calf, right? He walked down just to walk back up. And the first thing he said to God was, God, my people are idiots. Please forgive them. Please forgive them. But if you will not forgive them then take me with them. Paul, Paul, when he talks about his Israelites, the Israelites who rejected Jesus, the Israelites who knew the coming of a Messiah, who understood that God was going to bring salvation, the Jews who had all the information and yet still chose to be stubborn and reject Jesus, Paul cries out and he said, if I could, I would trade my own salvation that they may be saved. That's compassionate love. That's the type of anguish of a prayer that God is looking for his leaders. That's the type of prayer that God is calling out for mothers when they pray for their husbands, when they pray for their children. That's the type of prayer that God is looking for in fathers as they're praying for their family, as they're praying for their their, their position, their work that God has given to them. That's the type of prayer that the pastor is praying for his congregation. That's the type of prayer the leaders pray for their people. Let me tell you a story. It's a funny story. I just thought of it, right? We were, we, I was in college. Um, I, I lived in a house called Sarang Bang. Right? It's a Korean home. It's called Sarang means love, Bang means room, so it's like love room, okay? It's, it's translation is weird, okay? And then, and, the, and then it's like basically a house where the brothers, they live in ministry to serve the, the, the ministry in, on campus. And then there's, a, there's another house called Chalangbang. I don't know what Chalang means, but I think it's about for the girls, right? It's a room for the girls. So they, the girls live there uh, serving ministry, right? So we were both houses, like eight people in each house. There's uh, 16 of us leading the ministry on campus together. And boys being boys, we don't cook. And so what we do is we raid our sister's house. We walk over because we live in the same area. And we wait till they're out or they're going somewhere. We know that they're going to prayer night or something. And we kind of just go in and we steal their ramen, right? So we go in and we, we, uh, we, we have keys to each other's home just in case. So we, we go in there and we kind of eat the ramen. And I remember as I was going into this house, thinking that this house is empty with the other two other brothers with me, I was like, hey, don't worry, man. No one's here. They're all at that prayer meeting. We're good, okay? Let's just go, right? So we walked. I said, why weren't we there? Don't ask the question, okay? So we were there. We, uh, we got in and freakiest thing happened because as we were walking to the kitchen, the closet door is right here, and out of the closet door, we start hearing screaming, like, Julia, right? I want right? Jesus. I'm like, whoa, what is going on? And, and it was one of our sisters hiding in the closet, 
While the rest of the team went out to pray, she was hiding in the closet, and she was crying out for her disciple. Disciple that has been a little off lately. A disciple that's been running away. A disciple that's been kind of lost in life. And she cried. And you shouldn't listen to someone's prayer, but we were kind of captivated at that moment. So we kind of stood there. We were kind of scared too, so we just stood there. And we heard her pray. And what we heard was a voice of a young lady going to war for the heart of her disciple. And she said, God, whatever you want, I will give it. Bring her home. Whatever you desire from me, I will give it. Bring her home. Bring her home, oh God, for you want her and you love her more than I could possibly love her. I'm summarizing it, right, but this is what she said, right? I love her more, you love her more than I could possibly love her. And I can't do anything for her because all she wants to do is run. But I can lay these prayers down. God, whatever you desire of me, if you would bring her home, I will give it. And I know it sounds like she was trying to bargain with God. I know she was trying to like... Make a deal with the Lord, right? But I didn't hear a deal. What I heard was anguish. What I heard was a love of a discipler for a disciple, right? And the beautiful, beautiful end of the story is that her disciple came home, right? It took about a year and a half, but she came home, right? She came back, and that was the girl that she went to North Korea the year before me. I didn't go, but like, that was a year. Anyways, I was planning to go, but she went a year before me. And we were like, wait, man, why, why are you going? That's crazy. And I remember her answer was always, because God is good. Right? God was good. And I, I remember it was hilarious because when she came out of the closet, right, and she was like with her, she had like these a toilet paper roll, right, because she was like just like dabbing. Like, oh, God, you're here. Yeah, ramen's right there. Go enjoy it. And then she just <laughs> walked into her room, right? And we're like, oh, uh, okay, right? You know, we're like, oh, this is so awkward. Should we take it home, right? You know, but that's compassionate love. A love that fasts on behalf of the disciples, fasts on behalf of your children, fasts on behalf of those you lead. That instead of saying, God, why aren't they changing? God, why aren't these things happening? Instead of blaming them and being angry and being upset, yeah, they're probably being dumb, they're probably being stupid, but they're probably doing what they're born in heart and growth to do. And so the only thing you have is the prayer to come before God and cry out to them, cry out to God for them. The willingness to put your money where you could, where, you, where, 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 your, where your mouth is, right? I remember one of our, uh, when I was in the other church, we, we had a, uh, a conference, same, same group, same community uh, ministry. Every year during December, it's called, you know, Vision Conference, or I don't know what it's called nowadays, but it's called Vision Conference. And I remember a lot of them couldn't go. And our church was really poor, right? We, we, weren't, we didn't have a budget like we do now at this church, right? Our church was really poor. And I remember one of the staffs who taught with us, right? She said, we need, we need to get them to go. I said, all right, you want to do a couple car washes? I was like, that's not enough. We, we'll, be car, we'll be washing cars for like months to pay for all of that. I was like, I know, so what are we going to do? She said, and this is the thing. She, she, she also raised them since they were kids. She said, I love them. I want them. I'm just going to give them my credit card. I'm like, uh, we're broke, okay, you and I. 
we have no money. <laughs> and she said, I know, but we have a debit card. I mean, we have a credit card. I said, That's, I'm not sure this is wise, but it's probably the only choice we got, right? And we did. I mean, and she did. She did, right? And I was, I was floored. I was floored by it because I knew, I knew that this was something that it was hard, it was difficult, but it was willing. Why? Not because of just a conference, because she loved them to the point where she said, I will do whatever it takes to get them to go, right? What does it mean to be a good leader, guys? What are the principles that comes out of this? What are the principles that, that, that you drive out of Paul's letter to Timothy as he tells Timothy, look, this is the leadership quality you ought to have, okay? And one of them, the next one is called, is persevering, not giving up. That you don't give up on the people which you serve and which God has given to you. You persevere through it. And this is the, this is the funny thing. Is, is oftentimes we give up because we think, we're thinking they're, they're too immature. They're, this generation is just too spoiled. They, they're, they're too entitled. And we, we, we use all of our language that we have based on our generation to deal with them. And we're thinking if they could only look and think and talk and grow up the way we grew up, they would not be like this. And so we, we write them off as immature. And, and we write them off as, as ridiculous. We write them off as foolish. And, and we, we try to form them into our image. And when, we, they can't, when, they, when they don't, when they don't, when they resist that and they rebel against that, we write them off as this is worthless. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to give up. But you know the reality is no generation is worthless. Right? The, 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 as, as lazy as millennials or uh, the Generation Z is, right, they're the generation that give you what? Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, right? All the things to, uh, what else do they give you? Instagram, right? It's not a lazy generation. It's, you know why? It's because you, you didn't speak their language. You didn't speak their language. And because you didn't speak their language, you, think, you thought that they were entitled, bratty, spoiled. But if you spoke their language, just like if your parents spoke your language, you would have moved a lot further, right? But you didn't speak their language. How do I know this? I'll tell you a story, okay? This, I'll tell you so hopefully that will get you not to give up on people, okay? I, I volunteered at my son's uh, school. I had a lot of stories about these guys, right? I volunteered at my son's school, right? And this is one time... Uh, uh, the teacher said, I want you to play bingo with the kids, five of them. I said, okay, cool. And my job was to kind of do this rotation. I play bingo. And, you know, like, you win some, you lose some. That's, really, that's the law of bingo, right? You can't win all of them, right? And I remember <clears throat> this one kid, he lost. And I was feeling bad for him. I said, let's play one more time, right? Hopefully you would win, right? And I didn't rig this, okay? But my son went twice. So I was like, oh, my gosh, right? This is, not, this is not looking good, right? And the kid started crying. He started bawling. And he said, I want to win. Like, he, they always get to win. Everybody wins but me. And I was like, again, I feel bad. So I was like, all right. But then his wail started getting louder, right? It started, like, going. Like, ah! I was like, 
I was like, all right, all right, let's meet, meet me, pull out all the pastor cards. Hey, look, man, you're a great guy. You're, you're, you're awesome. You can, next time, next time, you can do it. Don't worry, bro, you, you got this, right? Like, you win some, you lose some. Just, just move on, man. It's, it's all right, you know? And it's like, it's just a toy. These toys are just lame anyways. It's like 25 cents. You're not worth it, right? I'm like saying all these things, and he's just crying louder and louder, and I'm about to like, mm, right now, like, I'm like, hey, that's enough, right? We have other classes out here. You know, and he just kept going off and off. And so I, so I walked over to him. I said, hey. I whispered it so the kids who went here. I was like, hey, you want to keep crying? Then cry louder, right? I said, cry now. And he was like, what? Just keep crying, right? I'm over you. Cry, right? And he, <laughs> he went even higher pitch, right? And I was like, oh, my Lord. I was like, I'm so screwed, right? And so his teacher walked out. His teacher walked out. And she said, what happens? Oh, he, uh, he, he lost bingo, right? And she, so she walked over, and she, she leaned over, and she just whispered something. Homie stopped right away. I was like, did you, what, is it, did you just voodoo him? What, what did you do? Like, how, how? I said, she just said, hey, <laughs> you hurt Mr. Tony's feelings by crying so loud, Right? Do we like to hurt people's feelings here? And I was like, wait, I'm, my feelings aren't hurt. <laughs> you know? But he was like, you've hurt Mr. Tony's feelings for crying so loud. You know? We, do we like to hurt people's feelings? And then he just stopped. I said, that was it? I pulled out my, mm, like the voice, mm, right? Tommy didn't stop. I pulled out my, hey, come on, man, you can do it. He didn't stop. She spoke his language. And she merely said, hey, you hurt his feelings. I don't know why that worked, but it worked, right? It worked. And I was like, man, you are amazing. She's like, yeah. But she looked at me. She, <laughs> she was like, she was like, she was like, I get it. You, 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 were, you were about to blow up. Huh? I said, no, I would never blow up, right? <laughs> Come on, right? right? It's hard. These kids are hard sometimes. You have to know their language, right? And isn't it funny how sometimes often, right, we do that. We don't speak the language of our brothers and sisters in our church, and as we mentor people and as we lead small groups, we don't speak their language. And then when they don't respond the way we want them to respond, we're thinking they're spoiled, they're entitled, they have all these things that they're not appreciating it. But the reality is what? And you want to give up on them, but the reality is you're not speaking their language. That's why you can't persevere with them. All right? Now, one more story to say, okay? So I, I took that lesson, right? And then... So one of Tessa's chores to fold his blanket, but it was one of those big blankets, and so he has a hard time folding it. And so I, I showed him. I, I opened everything up. So you just do this, boom, and then this. That's it. You're done, right? And he was like, "Okay." So then one time I was like, "Go, do, go do your blanket." And then he walked in. He said, "I can't do it." So I walked in. I said, "Come on, man. It's really easy. Just tip the corner and go over, and you, you can do it. Figure it out, right?" So I walked out, and as I walked out, I can hear him sniffling. <laughs> I'm not as strong as him. He always thinks I'm so strong. I'm not strong, right? I can't do this. I'm like, I said, what the hell's wrong with you, man? Right? And he was like, and he was like, oh, like I'm doing it all wrong. Right? So, I, so I walked in. I was like, what's wrong, Seth? He's like, I, I, told, I can't do it, daddy. I was like, hmm. He said, why don't you just fold it the way you want to fold it? I think the way you fold it originally is very pretty, right? Go fold it that way. He's like, no, you want to do it this way. No, 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 no. I really like the way you fold the other way. Do it that way. Please. Like, I love it. And then he started, you know, doing this kind of, like, weird bundle. I was like, it's ugly. It's like, and I was like, it's like, is it good? It's like, beautiful. 
I love it. It's so wonderful. Like, you did such a great job. Like, that's such, mommy would love this folding, right? And he was like, oh. We walked out together. I said, like, you know what? How about we go and try to learn a new way to do it? He's like, okay. And he's like, undo it. He's like, remember how I told you? He's like, yeah, just, why don't you give that a shot? See if you can do it. So okay. And he went, boom, boom, boom. I was like, Seriously, man, we went through all that. That's, you could have done this like 10 seconds ago. Like, why do we have to have this conversation for it, right? We missed the mark because why? We don't, we don't speak the language. You guys follow me? You guys follow me? And when we don't speak the language, we write people off. And as a leader, if you don't learn to speak the language of your people, you write them off. And you don't persevere. You write off your children. You're thinking they're spoiled, they're entitled. You're thinking that they're, that they're in a culture that... that, that um, that's, that's brainwashed them, right, that they're lazy. You write off your church members thinking like, you know, they don't care about church, they don't care about God, they don't have a heart for this, they don't have a heart for that, because you're not speaking their language. But if you would speak their language, you persevere with them to the end. So Paul, in his principles of leadership to Timothy, he's saying, teach the whole counsel of God. Wield your authority as a servant. Exercise compassion and love to your people. Persevere. Have the quality of perseverance. Next, he says, be a mentor. Be willing to step into the life of somebody. Mentor somebody. Men need to disciple men, not try to be buddies with men, right? But to train each other in the light of God's word. Women need to disciple women, not just to gaggle and gossip about life, but to sit down and walk the counsel of God's word together. Mentorship, okay? Is this journey that Paul took with Timothy, now Timothy's taking with his church, and mentorship is what we as a community, discipleship, ought to be doing with people. If you are not, if you are a young person here and you don't have a mentor, I pray, go find one. And if you are an older brother, an older sister here, and you're constantly scared of mentoring, I pray that you get over it and go and mentor somebody, Right? You're not going to be perfect. No one's going to tell you to be perfect. But if you step into the mentorship with these qualities, these, with this heart, like, I'm going to teach the counsel of God's word. I'm going to love them. I'm going to fight for them. I'm not going to give up on them. Right? If you go and I'm going to will my authority, not because I am better than them, but I'm going to will it in terms to serve them, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you will win more than you lose. You will win more than you lose. Mentorship. There was a time when I wanted to be great. Not going to lie, right? I wanted to make my name known. This is truth, okay? There was a time when I thought I was going to be an amazing, unbelievable preacher, right? I thought I was going to, like, be the next Billy Graham for Vietnam or something, right? I wanted to be out there, right? Um, and what stopped all of that, what stopped all that was I went to missions to the Philippines, and I met Pastor Gene Reyes, right? And I met, I met him, and this guy was the most simple man in the world. He took care of a house full of young ladies whose families abandoned them. 
okay? Him and his wife caring for this group of young ladies, right? He works day from day, from dawn to dusk, working the farm, making sure that they are able to be fed, right? Buying what's necessary, doing what's necessary for their schooling, for their education, doing all of that, right? Blessing the community. And wherever he took us in, the, in this area, and we ask people about Pastor Gene Reyes, they always, they always said, this is a man of God. If it wasn't for this man, we would all be so much trouble. And I went from, and, and, and he pastored in like the most rural, undeveloped area of the Philippines. And you wouldn't even know that there was a pastor out there. I had KCCC's praise ministry worship team one year drive out from Manila to where I was at. And when they got here, they're like, there's a church here? Because it was just literally grasslands, wherever. And it's like, you, you've been doing ministry out here? I was like, I haven't been doing anything. I've been just following this guy, right? right? And they come and they led, they led a worship set for the, the whole community. And it was lovely. It was awesome. But afterwards, when they met Pastor Gene Reyes, you know, he, was, he was very thankful. He was very gracious. And, he's like, and they were like, you, you pastor out here? Do anyone even know you exist out here? Right? And I asked him, like, so Pastor Ray is like, how do you survive? What's your salary? Who, like, who helps pay your bills and stuff? And he said, what's the salary? Right? It's like, you know, like the thing that people pay you to work, <laughs> you know? You are a pastor, and so sometimes pastors get paid, you know? It's like, then I don't have a salary, right? If I'm hungry, I'll go out and I'll find whatever vegetables outside will make a soup, right? My goal is to bless this community and to love them. And from that moment, from that moment, I said, I don't want to be great, God. I just want to be faithful. Okay? Mentorship. Mentorship. That you are able to pass on a legacy to your children, to your family. Mentorship. Pass on your legacy to your spiritual children. Okay? A leader has mentees. A leader has people which they invest in, right? Are you investing in people? Last one, last one, okay? It's the willingness to discipline. The courage to rebuke and the courage to say something when someone is wrong. It's not just to tell them when they like to hear something, but to speak into them and say, you know what? What you're teaching and what you're espousing is wrong doctrine. You know what? The lifestyle you're living is a broken and immoral life. You got to stop. It's hurting not only you, but it's hurting the people around you. And it's hurting everyone you're coming in contact. That you have the courage to speak and rebuke truth into them. Not because you hate them. No, you don't. Because you've cried for them. You battled it out for them. You fought for them. And you're speaking this to them and say, this is going to destroy you, not flourish you. I know this just makes you feel good for the time being, but let me just give you the wisdom that in the long run, it's a bad call. That you're willing to call them out for it. If there's a habitual, continual attitude of division in their hearts, you're willing to step into that and call and speak truth. You know, when, when uh, a news reporter asked Rick Warren, you know, like, Rick, you speak up against, you know, um, sexuality very openly, you know. You speak of a, for marriages very specifically between man and woman, right? Don't you think that it alienates the, the crowd of people in which you live around? 
other people. And he just simply said, look, my job is to teach the counsel of God's word, and I fear God more than I fear men. And if they are walking not aligned with God, it's not because I call them out because I hate them. I call them out because I'm, I'm afraid they're walking towards a direction that's going to break them. They're living a life that's less than the best for them. I'm not hurting them. I'm not trying to hurt them. I'm trying to save them. And if that makes me an enemy to people, then it's okay. Because I fear God more than I fear men. Do we have that mentality and that strength of courage and that conviction to speak truth into someone's life? I'm not telling you to go out there and start, you know, shooting bullets at people just because, you know, like, you see the wrongs in their life. But I'm saying go out into their life, invest in their life, walk with them, cry for them, fast for them, plead for them, persevere with them, teach them, wield your authority and serve them. And then when they know without a doubt that you are for them, say, hey, I worry for you. This lifestyle is not conducive to kingdom life. I worry for you. Can we deal with this together? The qualities of a leader. These are the qualities of a pastor. I hope I exemplify some of these qualities, right? If I don't, forgive me. I'm working on it. But let me read it to you one more time. This is what he says. Now the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace in the devil's trap, right? He is calling out the principles here. I'm giving you guys the principles of the words that's being spoken, the qualities that's being led. These are the principles for a, a husband, a principle for the wife as a leader in where, wherever capacity she leads, principle as a small group leader, salt group leader, ministry leader, principles for you to hold on to in order to lead. And if you would do this, if you would walk in this, what you will see is flourishing in your church, in your homes, in your workplace, in your schools. Let's pray. To the cross I look, to the cross I